Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kyle. This is before the box score. We beat the hell out of Kansas State. We did it. We did it. We have hope. BK, how are you doing? How are you doing? I am drinking a beer tonight because the Missouri Tigers allowed me to feel good about my football fandom. And it's been a minute since we've really been able to say that. Nate, I think the last time that I felt this way coming off of the game was LSU in 2020. And if we're being totally candid, that was a fake football game and a fake football season against a fake football team. Absolutely. And we know that now, looking back on it, those are all disclaimers that we can now throw on. But at the time, it felt so big. Because it was like, man, Missouri can finally punch up. They're going up against teams that are better than you, more talented than you, and they have a fighting chance. And you didn't really feel that way with Barry Odom at the helm against conference or non-con opponents. And so when Eli Drinkwitz gets here and he's recruiting like a madman and you get these opportunities and you go out there and you have this big win, you're like, oh, this is just what it's going to be. From here on out, you're just going to compete with the big boys. And then we went through a couple of years, not like hell years, but up and down to say the least. And you ended up in a spot where you're like, man, you you struggle against Middle Tennessee. And we we don't really know if this team has that kind of swagger about it. And are they going to be able to punch up? And they go out there and they didn't just win one of those games where like, like Georgia last year just crapped the bed a few different times on different drives. And it was like, oh, that was just a D Georgia performance. And Missouri almost found a way to beat them on their worst possible day. Missouri went out there and beat Kansas State when Kansas State played well. Yes, and that, yes, to me, is the most impressive part of it, dude. They just played their asses off, and they earned that victory at home against the top 15 opponent. They absolutely did. Yeah, the Georgia game, full of turnovers, fluky fumbles. Uh, it, it was it was not a repeatable type of performance on, on either side. And therefore, <laughs> Missouri did not play like that, uh, did not come close to beating teams like that for the rest of the year. To your point, yes, this was this was prime Kansas State. This is this is the primo stuff. 405 total yards on the day. That's 5.7 yards per play. That's the worst yardage that Missouri's defense has given up, certainly this year uh, and most of last year as well. Uh, they had uh, Kansas State generated six scoring opportunities. This wasn't something like, oh, they could only, you know, manage, you know, they got 12, but the points were low. No, they they got a solid six and average 4.5 points per opportunity. All of those season worse for Missouri's defense. This is this is a legit Kansas State team. Kansas State had a 41, 41.5% success rate throwing the ball, and they had a 43% success rate rushing the ball, based off of my count. All of those, worse than Missouri's done all year. That's the kind of stuff that you go, uh-oh, something bad happened. On top of that, Missouri's havoc rate, 22%. 
This is the third straight game where it's been fluctuating below 25%, which was usually the like worst that they would do last year. They would be hitting that 44, 38 in victories and then fall down to the 20s and losses. Guys, Missouri's defense wasn't as good as we thought it was. Kansas State was just as good as we thought it were. And Missouri won the game. They won the game because Eli took the restrictor plate off. <laughs> Went for it on fourth down. Said, Kirby, give us some of those uh uh what how do you pronounce it? The the deep balls? Give me give me the deep balls, baby. And they did it. And Cook did it. Brady Cook did it. And everyone said that he couldn't do it, and he did it. And Luther Burton's the freaking truth. Luther Burton is him and all that stuff. He is the chip man. Boy, it happened. It happened. We saw what this offense can be fully actualized when it tries to score and be aggressive, and it worked against a top 15 team at home. College college football teams, notoriously, notoriously inconsistent in how they perform week to week. But I am telling you, you, BK, you wrote about this. I am saying it again. This is something that you hang your hat on. This is something that you point to at the end of Eli Drinkwitz era, whether that's this year or 10 years from now, and go, yeah, that was that was the game. And it's so nice to have that. And as I put on Twitter multiple times uh, on Saturday, it just it's so nice to care about football and have vested interests. And I know maybe I'm a, a crotchety old poop who, who signs out too quickly, but like this game had weight, this game had meaning, and then, oh, by the way, your Tigers won. So, hey, it's a good weekend, man. It, it is. And let, let's start with Luther Burden. Because you mentioned his name. You said he is him. He said he is him. The teammates say it, he is him. And they're all 100% correct. We wondered, can Luther Burden have the breakout in year two that we saw last year from Dom Lovett? Because Dom Lovett leaving left a massive hole in this offense. If they didn't replace it, they weren't going to be able to have the offense that we all hoped that they could. And it was an open question mark because Luther Burden in year one was one of the least product, least efficient wide receivers in the country. I know everybody said all year long, like, hey, why aren't they getting Luther the ball? Why aren't they doing this and that to get him the ball? And the truth was, because when they did, and nobody wants to hear, but it's true, when they did try to get Luther Burden the ball, it was mostly with gadgety stuff, and it wasn't particularly effective most of the time. And mm-hmm. that's not a shot against Luther Burden. It's just the truth of trying to be a wide receiver in the SEC, especially on the outside, as a true freshman. It's incredibly hard. The jump from high school to this level, especially lining up outside, it's nearly impossible to do. So I didn't know. I I didn't know if he was going to be able to do that. But you felt like he had the opportunity to, and you felt like he had the talent to make it happen. Well, he hasn't just made that jump. He's been better. He's been one of the best wide receivers in the country so far this season. And that's not just an opinion. It's by the numbers. Nate, so far this season, if you're looking at power five wide receiver rankings, he is tied for seventh in receptions on the year with 22. He's ninth in receiving yards with 325, which is basically what he had the entirety of the 2022 season. He is first in yards after catch. Among all oh. power five wide receivers so far in the season, wow. there are some power five receivers that have played four games. He's played three <laughs> games. He is second. And this is maybe the most incredible statistic yet in yards per route run among college football wide receivers, power five wide receivers with at least 20 targets this season. Damn. So let me break that down a little bit for people that don't know the statistic, aren't familiar with it. Yards per route run is an efficiency stat. All of the other things that I mentioned 
mostly are volume statistics, right? Mm -hmm. Do you get thrown the ball a lot? Do you catch the ball a lot? Do you gain a lot of yards whenever you get it? You can rack that up by just being in like a Mike Leach type of offense where they're throwing it to you a million different times, right? Mm -hmm. Yards per route run is different. How many times did you run a route? How many yards did you gain on average within those routes? Luther Burden last year was horrendous in the statistic. Like one of the worst in the country. He has gone from one of the worst to the second best nationally (laughs) overnight. This dude is amazing. He is Jeremy Macklin 2.0. I tweeted that out the other night and people like got mad at me for comparing him to Jeremy Macklin by saying he's better. Maybe like he's got the potential to be, but Jeremy Macklin in his own right was amazing. And if Luther Burden becomes that dude, holy bleep that the ceiling for this offense changes exponentially. So I can't give enough credit to the guy. I'm going to be writing about him this week because of the transformation that we've seen. This is rare. What we are watching right now, do not underestimate it. This is what a five-star talent looks like. Mm -hmm. And he is living up to every possible expectation that even the most optimistic of Mizzou fans could have had. And keep in mind, Jeremy, he did not play his true freshman year. He was injured in fall camp, his true freshman year. So he took a red shirt year, his first year on the field. He already knew kind of what a college practice was like, how to be a college player, how to take care of yourself, how to build yourself up. Like he had been through that one time already without having to see the field. So this is not, you know, pick up you know, Jeremy Mack, little baby 18-year-old Jeremy Mack when throw him out here. He was seasoned a little bit, even if he was injured. So yeah, Luther had to make the jump. He had to make the acclimation to what it was and also play out of position in a scheme that really does not value outside receivers very well and does not know how to use them as, as well as they do their slots. So yeah, we are here. I, this, this might be a very easy answer, but who would you take? 2022 Dom Levitt or 2023 Luther Burden? Luther. Luther, without Luther's without better. knowing the season. Yes, Luther's better. Uh-huh. All right. Well, how, how do you feel about that one? I mean, so far, if you look at efficiency numbers, they're so much better than Lovett that, yes, I would take Burden. We don't know what's going to happen when we get into conference play. We don't know if you know he gets worn out because he is getting used a lot. Um, we don't know what the end of this season is going to be and what his endurance is going to be and what the capability of carrying this team on his back, though. But, man, three games in... I would I'd say Burden is a clear upgrade over Dom Lovett, the four-star slot receiver who's starting at Georgia and leading Georgia in, in catches right now. So which isn't saying much because he has like 12. But it's not they have too many talent talented people, but still. Um so yes, it is a clear, clear upgrade on the slot. And if three touchdowns for Luther this year, by the way, three last year. And, and yeah. touchdowns aren't everything. It's not the end-all, be-all. No. But just it, I think it speaks to the explosives that we're seeing mm-hmm. from Luther Burden. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take him. And fewer rushes, too. I mean, keep in yeah. mind, a lot of times they were just they were handing it off to him because they didn't know how to get it to him on the outside. There's one carry on the season. Yeah, like they, they're just doing it now. Again, a lot of the, some of those passes are those crappy little push passes where Brady gets in and like throws it six inches to Luther. Still counts. Uh, so I'm not saying it's completely absent from the playbook. It's just a little bit different. But still, to the point, they know that this is this is how you use them. You put them in the slot, use them that way, which is great. How many, um, just out of, before we get off of Luther Burden, mm-hmm. how many deep passes do you think he has seen come his way so far this season? Seven. 20 plus yards down the field would be deep. 
by pro football uh, focuses metrics 20 plus one two three let me give you context last year he had 17 on the season and caught one (laughs) well we know he's caught at least uh two so far this year that off the top of my head that's i don't know deep targets of 20 plus yards on the year five six targets three receptions for 121 yards and a touchdown there's your uh, difference. The difference yeah. between Luther Burden in 2023 and Luther Burden in 2022 is that last year he had 35 yards on one reception on his 17 targets on deep passes down the field. This mm-hmm. year he is tracking the football. He mm-hmm. is screening off defenders. He is making contested catches. He is doing wide receiver type of things. And he is doing it at an incredibly high level against legit competition now. And if he keeps this up, he is going to put together a one of the special wide receiver seasons that we'll remember forever um, in the lore of Mizzou wide receivers. Now, Luther Burns catching the hell out of the ball. Someone's got to get it to him. Can we talk about Brady Please. Cook? Please. Eli Drinkwood sometimes gets on some things, and I go, why are we talking about this? But his comment after the game about the fans booing Brady Cook, yeah, he has a point. And I had no idea this happened. Sitting at home, I had no idea it happened. Apparently, during the uh, roster introductions at uh, pregame, when Brady Cook's name was read, some allegedly students, but people in the stands booed his name, as well as Eli Drinkwitz. Y'all got to get over this, okay? I'm sorry he didn't have four little stars next to his name coming out of high school. I'm sorry you don't think players don't get better. I'm sorry that you think that some injured quarterback playing for 13 games, that's just how he's going to look when healthy. Um, And I'm sorry that Eli Drinkwitz didn't give him more opportunities to thrive in the first two games. Y'all got to get over it. Brady Cook showed up, threw for 356 yards, threw a deep, what, nine times? Hit it multiple times? He ran. He scored touchdowns. He is the leader of this team, and y'all got to shut up and support this guy. Even if he likes emos, that's maybe the one demerit I can think of right now. You have to support this guy. He is the best quarterback on the roster. He is the quarterback that this team wants and believes in they keep talking about how many dogs are inside him this is your guy he showed up and he shut everybody up and i am sorry that he had to shut up mizzou fans but he freaking did it said my piece so we've been talking about this for a while and every time that i defend brady cook people say oh you're a brady cook apologist you don't know what you're talking about dude imagine what sam horn would do if he got out there I don't know what Sam Horn would do if he got out there, but I know that they've tried to replace Brady Cook constantly over the last two seasons. They have looked at everybody. You remember the parade of transfer quarterbacks that came through last offseason? It was just like day by day. Hey, look, it's it it was basically like like the Colorado game last night that we were watching. We're recording this on Sunday evening. Um, The Colorado game that we were watching last night. It was just a parade of celebrities where they would just say like, Hey, look, there, there's the rock. <laughs> hey, look over there. There's another. Like It was constant. That was transfer quarterbacks. Not this past offseason, but the offseason before going into the 22 season at Missouri. So they didn't have anything where they were like, we're tied to this guy. We recruited this guy. We are tied. We, our jobs 
are made better and easier if this guy succeeds. That's just not true. Sam Horn is the guy that they're tied to. Sam Horn is the one that they went out there and he's got the stars next to his name. He got the NIL money. He got all of this stuff. He got all the fanfare, obviously, hence why people want him over Brady Cook. But what's he do? He just goes out there, puts his head down, and wins the job over and over and over again. He just outplays his competition. Last year, he won over his entire team because, unbeknownst to all of us, he was, be pl- he was playing with one shoulder the entire mm-hmm. season. Yep. And then this offseason, goes out and gets sur- shoulder surgery. Gets taken care of, misses the entirety of spring ball. So other guys have an opportunity to like really lay their claim to the job. Doesn't matter. Brady comes back, fall camp, basically wins the job. I, for all intents and purposes, was named the starter going into week number one of this season. And so when you're looking at the way that this has gone prior to Saturday against K-State, it was clear the team had Brady Cooks back. And now against K-State, you see why. Because they knew what he was capable of doing if he just went out there and did it. And finally, dude, he had the game of a lifetime. And I saw Gabe DeArmond mention this on Power Mizzou, and I couldn't agree with it more. Dude, imagine being Brady Cook in that game. You are living out your dream. All you've ever wanted to do is play quarterback at Missouri. And you wanted to be there for a game like that against a team like that in a moment like that. And he goes out there and just balls out. I mean, he's never going to forget that moment. No matter what happens the rest of the season, he can always have that game. Mm -hmm. And that is such a special thing. So, I'm so happy for him. The dude yesterday, uh, when you look at what him pushing the ball down the field, eight for 12, pushing it more than uh, 10 yards down the field, ended up throwing, according to Pro Football Focus's uh, tracking, he had seven deep shots of 20 yards or more, ended up having 140 yards on those seven deep shots. I mean, the guy did everything that Mizzou fans wanted him to do and then some, and it was just an absolute pleasure to watch, dude. That was awesome. Like again, I understand that we might we may never see a performance like that again. I understand that Connor Bay is like three for three hundred yards against whatever the hell LSU defense was pretending to be under Bo Pelini a couple of years ago. I understand that. But like we know what Kansas State is. We know Kansas State is good. We know that Brady Cook has struggled. We've seen things, some hints like, oh, we could really put this thing together. You know, get him a couple more weapons, get him in, you know, get him healthy, things like that. And we've just been waiting for him to put it together. And that, that, that was it. That was it. He put it together. So, no, do you, we are not going to expect 300, 400 yard games every single game, right? This is still Eli Drinkwitz's team. He's still going to turtle up when he's up, you know, 10 with, you know, 28 minutes to go and a half against a lesser opponent. That's going to happen. Point being, when you let Brady Cook loose when you take off the restrictor plate and you let him be aggressive that is what it looks like that is what this entire offense looks like so i am pleased with brady cook i am so happy for him i'm so happy for this team he is clearly their leader he is clearly their quarterback that's going to be true for this season going forward and whatever and it's just it's a good story and he got us the win man so the other thing on this like you mentioned, no, he's not going to throw for 356 yards every game. He also doesn't have to. That was the other thing that I liked about the way that they operated in this game. 
Kansas State has, if they had any flaws coming into this one, according to at least the people that follow K-State, it was, hey, they're not totally sure about their corners. Like, not not totally sure if that is a secondary that can keep up with the best passing offenses that are on their schedule this year. So what did Mizzou do? They went out and exploited it. And they have a quarterback who is clearly capable of doing that. Meanwhile, their run defense, dude, like, good luck. <laughs> it, that is not a team that you're going to be able to rack up 200 yards against on the ground with any sort of regularity. Down the road, you might go into the opposite, where Missouri runs its inside and outside zones all day long, and they're able to do that against some of the opponents down the stretch on their schedule. This just wasn't that team. And so it's nice to know you have that club in your bag, right? Like, You've got the ability to go out there, and if you got to chip it out of the sand, you can. That's what Brady Cook just showed you. He, he's got that ability if it is needed moving forward, and it is going to be needed at some point. I don't know which game, but one of these games down the stretch, he's going to need to go out there and have a similar type of performance. And you know, for redemption, if we had three redemption stories and they're all spelled KSU, the third was Harrison Mebus, who I feel pretty justified in calling out uh, past couple of games because it has been a problem. You know, the beginning of his career up to Georgia, he was an 86% field goal kicker. After that game through Middle Tennessee, he was 70%. So, yeah, a little bit of a problem. Whew. He made his extra points. He made a 30-yarder. He missed on a 54. Nailed the shit out of a 61-yard field goal. Oh, my God. Oh, my you- God. Let, let's go back for a second. Take yourself back in the moment. They're setting up for a 61-yard field goal try. Your thoughts were what? <clears throat> I hope it doesn't get returned for a touchdown. 100%. That's the only <laughs> – I, I legitimately – I looked over at my wife because we were watching the game together with our baby boy, and I said, I can't believe they're going to kick this. Yeah. Bad things happen to Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> only bad things happen to Missouri. And the oh only thing God. that was missing is that it wasn't to the opposite end zone. It was um, to the north end zone, right? Like, yeah. Uh, so it, huh. If it was any other thing, or if it was any other spot, you would expect him to not only miss, but miss short and then have a return for a touchdown. Yep. When that thing went through the uprights, I, it was a feeling unlike anything that I felt in a really long time as a Missouri fan. I mean, since like, am I going back too far? Like the Josie run against Texas A&M? That, was that the most joyous moment that you felt as a Missouri fan since that moment against AM. Is there something that I'm missing in between? singular moment? Yeah. It's like there's been games. Oh, I mean that LSU man. game felt really cool in the moment where the you're Florida like Florida game in 14 was hilarious, but that was not a, that was a that was a series of moments. Um there was really no like big signature win in 18. Maybe you could argue like one the fumble return against Minnesota or the Maddie Mock run against Minnesota in that Citrus Bowl, but it's a Citrus Bowl like Heart of the Tiger, baby. Like, yeah. Oh no, 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 it was it's the it's the Josie run. That's that's been a long eleven years, man. Yeah. Dang. Um, when it went through, oh, the the, the goal line stand against LSU, I guess, would probably be another one that you could argue going back to that game yeah i'm not gonna I'm not S- gonna similar type wrong. of feeling i'm not gonna say you're wrong if that's what if that's your feeling which i get it but you you ecstatic your josie 2013 feeling i was like okay what's the flag what's the flag because mizzou was pouring onto the field the announcer had said there's a flag and so i'm like i'm happy but i'm also terrified that we're gonna have to do this again 
the 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 steps leading up to it were just a total fiasco. Uh, I was like, I'm not allowed to be happy. Missouri's not allowed to win this type of game. So I was just wait. I was waiting for the flag, and then they had, they the, the the referees had their little powwow in the corner, put their hats on, and walked off. And I was like, oh my god, we we did it. They did it. And I could I could not believe it. I I had paced a line into the carpet in my basement. Uh, the the wife and kids had left me alone because I was being way too weird. Uh, that thing goes through. Victory, Mizzou. I I can't believe it. I know Mimas has said before that he's made like seventy five yarders in practice. Um, that thing was sixty one, probably good from sixty two. I'm not going to give him credit and say it was good from like eighty yards away, but like he nailed it, man. He delivered. Advantage me if we want to go a throwback to 2020 Mevis and against Arkansas. That dude, uh, he sold a lot of hamburgers yesterday. I am, I am so happy that he got that moment uh, when Georgia should have been his moment last year. He got this one this year, and that was that was pretty dang cool. Yeah, another one where that dude just had a moment. Like th- that's one of the things that I love about college football, and I, I think sometimes we get so like. Not necessarily just you and me, Nate, but in general, just like the generic us. We get so tied into like college football realignment and what are the odds of them like making a push to the postseason? Like all of these different things, yeah. right? The the like the macro conversations about college football at large that we miss kind of the micro, the, the little moments that make it what it is. And that's one of those little moments where Harrison Mevis, who has this complicated history recently with Missouri fans, after like this unbelievable early impression that he had with Mizzou fans. And he's the guy that gets mm-hmm. to have the moment in the game that ends up kind of defining at least so far this year of Mizzou football. Like, that's, that's just a cool thing, man. And 20 years from now, no matter how the rest of the season ends up going and if it goes well, it will be remembered more fondly, certainly <laughs> than if it goes sure. poorly the rest of the way, but if it goes sure. either way, he, he gets to be a part of Mizzou history now. Mm-hmm. And that, that's always going to be him. He, he has the longest kick in the history of the SEC, and it happened to beat a regional rival in mid-September to take <laughs> Missouri to 3-0 and for the first time in five years. Like, that's serious. It's not bad, man. It's not bad. So longest in SEC history, but second longest in Missouri history. If you really, yeah, if you can believe that, the longest was I'm gonna mess up his name and apologies. You were playing when I was literally born, Tom Wellian, Wellian, um, from Carrollton, Texas. Was it was it a walk off though? I do not know. He nailed this thing against Colorado in 1986 from 62 yards away. I'm wondering if it was in Boulder. Ah. I don't want to take anything away from Tom, but I wonder because <laughs> 62 is a long, long way. Um, I don't know. Uh, anyway. Happened in a loss too, so it doesn't count. Oh, there you go. And then before then, Tucker McCann had the second longest, 57 yards against South Carolina in 2018. You remember the monsoon mm-hmm. South Carolina game? Yeah, we don't remember that game quite as fondly. Also because they lost <clears throat> uh, when they should have won. Another one of those Barry Odom specials, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, this will be the longest field goal in Missouri history that ends in a win. How about that, Harrison? How about that thicker kicker? Um, and then as, as, again, the the redemption stories for the players on the field, 
went over him. Luther Burden is him. He told everyone to get the F out of his house. Brady Cook, redemption. He is the quarterback. We all got to get on board. Harrison Mevis thicked his way through 61 yards. We will get to other players eventually, but let's talk about the coaching staff because it does take a staff, and Eli Drinkwitz, to say, to quote Dom Lovett, we're going to drop our nuts, and Kirby Moore going, gotcha, boss, and dialing up those deep shots because they did it. And they went for it on fourth down in plus territory right on the goal line and scored a touchdown out of it. I I mean, were there still punts? Yeah, there's still punts. That's going to happen. But there wasn't any point uh, on Saturday where I'm like, you are playing scared. I did not ever feel that. BK, did you ever feel like there was a poor scaredy choice in there? I, I didn't. There was one. I can't remember what the exact situation was, um, but I know there were some Mizzou fans that were being critical. And I remember saying in the moment, I actually agree with this decision I can't remember if it was a punt or a field goal. Um, I agreed with it, though, and I think a lot of fans were getting a little bit Was it that fourth it. and seven kind of in the middle? I think that was range. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm as aggressive as anybody, yeah. um, and I felt like it was actually the right call in the moment. Yeah, it was the fourth and seven. Fourth and seven's hard, man. And it came like, after Burden, um, and he had an amazing game. I'm not trying to be overly critical, but – Burden had a an opportunity a to catch the ball, and it ended up being a, a big drop. Uh, yeah. It would have been a first down on that third and seven. And I thought it was a good play call, too, because it was like right at the sticks. And even if he didn't end up getting it, you give yourself an opportunity on like fourth and really short. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, that, that was the one that I thought maybe could have gone either way, but I thought they did the right thing. The team that I didn't feel like did the right thing was actually K-State. I thought they could have been a little more aggressive, especially late in the game with some of their decision-making. Hmm. Is there one in particular that stood out or just that was your general vibe? The final uh, one of their final drives where they had a uh, a third down play and I didn't like their play calling yet because I, I thought they could have maybe gotten it into like third and short and then gone for it on fourth down. Mm-hmm. Um, it was their second to last drive, like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They had a third and three. Um from the three yard, Mizzou three yard line. So third and goal from the three had a delay of game and then had an incompletion uh, after the hurry and then decided to f- uh, field goal try on that fourth and eight. I, I didn't like the third down play calling. I thought they should have yeah. gone um, like, Hey, we're in four down territory here. Let's get this into manageable situation. Although they threw, they threw it to Phillip Brooks, which if you're going to target a guy, that's a good yep. one. If it wasn't going to be that Ben Sennett guy, I was going to be Phillip Brooks. Dude. Yeah. I'm glad he had as many drops as he did. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> one. One official drop. But, yeah, I mean, that dude. Ugh. I mean, if there's a white dude wearing number 34 tearing up your secondary, you're having a bad day. And I thought He's that a was good player, though. Like, legitimately He's a good player. Good. He is very good. Stomping all over our, our secondary. Like, oh, my God. I felt like that was going to be the awkward, overlooked, undersized kid that was yeah. going to destroy Mizzou this time. And, I mean, he got his. But, you know, thank God we escaped. Um but yeah, credit to the coaching staff. They, I thought they, you know, the the scripted plays were very good. I thought they adapted super well. Kirby Moore called a good game. Eli Drinkwitz let him do his stuff. Aggressive when you need to be. Really, the only demerit is going to be whatever the hell that was, thinking that you could spike the ball and then just also double as a timeout. <laughs> like I, I, I don't know if that's Drinkwitz or not, because he ran over and started screaming at his special team staff. But also, you know, what else are you doing during that time? Why did it take you 20 seconds to figure that out? I, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. And to his credit, he took the full blame for it. 
whoever got chewed out afterwards, none of my business, but he took credit for it, for the issues uh, and the press conference. And then of course, you know, Harrison Mewis bails him out. I, I was reading a lot on social media, which again, social media, <laughs> bastion of logic and reason, uh, fireable offense, I think was what most of the uh, consensus on that was. It, I wasn't, I wasn't at that level, but it was, it was pretty bad in the moment. It, it was really bad. And if it led to them losing that game, what we were going to talk about afterwards was the offensive penalties pre-snap just in general, like it, it, cause that became a trend in the game. I think it was second half three false starts two delay of games in that specific game. And Mm -hmm. all but one came in the fourth quarter. It's just like, dude, that can't happen. It cannot happen, especially when you have an opportunity to pull off a game like that against that team, because mm-hmm. K-State is not going to beat themselves and you're helping them beat you. So um, it, it would have become something that we absolutely had to discuss. I'm so glad that we don't have to spend the majority of our show on it as a result, because now it is a footnote as opposed to the headline. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the moment, I was like, oh, I, I was furious, absolutely yeah. furious. Because it's just something that cannot happen. But I will tell you this, it won't happen again. And if it does, boy, well, boy, then it will become a potentially fireable offense. Boy, I will say this because I, you know, I said on the jump that Kansas State was was pretty the primo stuff, right? That was that was their A effort. They were uncharacteristically sloppy. Yep. If you look back, seven penalties called, 65 yards of penalties accepted, and they had two drops. Both of those guys were like their main pass catchers and Ben Sennett. And then, of course, you know, Andrew Davis Ward, who became awesome. Um, that was really weird. And this was this was stuff like holding offsides, holding pass interference, face mask, delay of game, false start. You don't get that from K-State teams usually. So, so some of that, I think, was because the atmosphere was so excellent, could be. by the way. I, I think be, like yeah. especially the pre-snap penalties, it felt like the atmosphere actually did create a little bit of a a home field advantage that, like, let's just be honest, Mizzou doesn't always have. Yeah. And against K-State, they had it. And so I, I think you have to give the, the fans a little bit of credit, but that's only a couple of those. Some of those others are, like, I, I always think holding should almost be a credit to the defense because it mm-hmm. suggests at least uh, that the defense is starting to their pursuit in a way that you can't manage it or they're showing you a look that you were unprepared for. And then as a result, like you have to go out there and grab. So I think some of it can be attributed to either home field advantage or Missouri's defense earning those flags. Some of it is also just like boneheaded mistakes by K-State. So um, yeah, yeah, not, not an uncharacteristic, an uncharacteristically weird game Mm -hmm. by K-State in that regard. Yeah. Which paid off. We're, we're fine sure. with it. Um, and then again, lastly, you know, we, we've kind of talked about everything almost around it. Let us give credit to the defense. I know they gave up over 400 yards, and I know they haven't been the best in scoring position defense as, you know, a quarter of the season into this. Uh, but man, they, even without the havoc, they were just sound they were able to stop a lot of those runs especially on first down and got to the point where k-state was only throwing on first down because mizzou was doing such a good job of bottling up there at the beginning um they finally got their turnover i said in my keys to the game that they had to get one chris abrams drank got it 
plucked it right out from Ben Simmons' hands. He was right there. Again, K-State tends to not do that sort of thing. They got it. Um, you know, I understand that optics of getting run on and thrown on for 400 yards is probably not great, but it was situational defense that was able to carry the day. And boy, Dalen Carnell, if you didn't think he was a stud coming into this, that dude was all over the place. And Tyron Hopper was so close to like eight more tackles for loss. Very frustrating, but yeah. like the collective pressure was there and they they did enough to, to keep that offense in the game. I think what impressed me most about the defense was their ability to make winning plays down the stretch. Like you look at the fourth quarter of that game, four plays, 17 yards, punt, three plays, eight yards, punt, six plays, seven yards, punt, eight plays, 67 yards. They got a long drive on you field goal. You bowed up when you needed to down the stretch and you were able to get that field goal to get off of the field without them getting in for six. And you end up giving your offense the opportunity to go win that football game that those are winning football plays. And what Missouri has done over the last few seasons, really, I mean, dating back to like 2014, is find a way to make losing plays in big games down the stretch. And that is both on the offense and sometimes also on the defense. And what they did in this one was the opposite. They found a way to get off of the field. They found a way to limit the points when they did get into um, scoring range. And Missouri's offense, it was the opposite. They had an explosive play. led to a touchdown. They had a, a field goal on that final drive. Like, you just found a way to be able to win that game down the stretch when it mattered the most. So... The defense was not perfect, and one thing that I will give credit to the offense for is that they didn't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Most games they do, and this one they didn't. And Mm -hmm. because Brady Cook had a great game offensively, because Luther Burden had one of the best games that you'll see from a wide receiver in a Mizzou uniform, because Mookie Cooper stepped up when you really needed him to, Brett Norfleet with a couple of big-time plays. Marquise Uh, Johnson, hello? Huge, huge spot for him. Like so many dudes and you needed every single one of them to come through mm-hmm. um, because they all ended up doing that. Johnny Walker Jr., who we haven't talked yeah. hardly about this year and has been having a monster season quietly. Mm-hmm. Like we could go through every single player on the stat sheet and we could talk about the individual performances, <laughs> but they made winning plays when it mattered the most. And that is what you have to do. And they they finally found a way to do it, dude. In a one-score game, they finally got on the right side of the ledger. Never Incredible. thought it was going to happen. Incredible. So now we are we are in this very blessed, unfamiliar territory. Because when you get to the point where you're winning three games in your season, you are one of a handful of undefeated teams left. I know that K-State's not going to put you in the, in the playoff. It's not going to win the SEC. But we said there's two 10-pole games. That was one. You just won one of them. Kentucky is later down the road, and maybe Kentucky's as good as we think it is. But here is my point. The next game is always going to be the most important game until you lose. And even then, maybe every game going forward is important. And this is foreign territory for us Missouri fans. BK, you and I have talked about it. I know you've written about it. Missouri always has the ability to gack away a game early and take away all the goals and aspirations you had for the season in the first, second, or third week. And they didn't do that this time. So now every game is important because every game is an ability to add to the statement that you already made about being a ranked team. And oh, by the way, the SEC might stink. BK, what am I supposed to do with my hands? So so let me start with what you mentioned there about the every game now becomes big because I, I think that's a huge piece to what we're talking about here. They started 3-0 for the first time since 2018. We've referenced that a number of times. Last time they started 4-0 was 2013. 
my God. It's been a decade my God. since Missouri got out of the first. This is not a huge accomplishment, dude. Like, we know how Missouri schedules. It's typically two cupcakes, and then you get, like, a real non-con, and then your first conference game, right? It should not be impossible to start 4-0. That is just – it's something that a lot of teams do. But Missouri hasn't done it in a decade. So if they do it, it'll be a massive accomplishment for this program. Reason I wanted to bring that up is because we just saw what happened with Colorado over this weekend. Mm -hmm. They did not go up against a big-time opponent in Colorado State. Now, it's a rivalry game technically, but Colorado State is not. They were 24-point underdog in that one. They should not have been a team that kept it as close as they did, and it took double overtime Mm -hmm. to be able to get that win, and that was at home. Yeah. Missouri right now is three and zero, and by SP plus metrics, they are thirty seventh in the country right now. Nice. Nate, do you know where Memphis ranks in those SP plus me- metrics? This surprised say, me. I want to say forty first. They're really close, right? Damn, now you are good at this. Forty first on the dot. No way! Oh my god! On wow. the dot, South wow. Carolina currently is ranked fortieth in the country. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of one of those games where you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself, okay, you can kind of, it's a measuring stick kind of a game Mm -hmm. because you just did this against uh, Kansas state and they're 21st. So, you know, you can do it against top 20 type of programs of the country. Memphis is better than I think a lot of people, myself included Mm -hmm. have given them credit for. They just had a weird game against Navy. We know how that ends up going. Like sometimes weird stuff happens in those games. I don't know if this Memphis team is like, really great but <laughs> they're three and oh and yeah. they have the potential to be pretty darn good they've been a good program over the years so this is a huge game for mizzou man and there's a lot of letdown potential here as well because you're coming off of such a massive win against kansas state and an emotional win against kansas state absolutely and you're doing it this is the first time you're going to be away from Faro. you're going to be in a weird place that none of these guys have played in before the dome in st louis it is vapid it is hollow it is a weird place to play okay it's not going to be filled so the playing surface ain't great it's it could be a lot better so like it's it's going to be weird first time away from home in a weird place you don't have your binky um, Memphis is a lot better than you think. Yes, they had to overhaul their entire receiving core. Yes, Towski Dove is technically their leading returning receiver, and we know what he did last year. It's all weird, but they are somehow competent. Their quarterback is actually pretty good. Here is here's where I'm gonna say, yeah, but BK, do you know who they've played? <laughs> Only because I looked at the schedule a little bit okay. earlier, and okay. it is it is not overly impressive. I'll put it that so, way. So we all know Bethune Cookman love the HBCUs, but they are at a massive talent advantage, even if against Memphis. Then they played Arkansas State, which lost its first two games 117 to three. So, you know, just throwing that out there. 125th in SP plus. Oh, there you go. So good job, Memphis. And then they went up against Navy. Now, Navy is continuing and insisting to run on the triple option, even though the rule changes had made the triple option basically not an advantage for um, for the service academies anymore. They're still doing it, and Memphis squeaked out a 28-24 win. Now, we're Missouri fans. We know playing against the triple is weird. Rules are, are against it or not. So no, no disrespect there. The point is that you played an, an HBCU, one of the worst FBS programs in the world, and then Navy. Which is the equivalent of Middle Tennessee so far in SP+. And now you also 
go to a weird place and play Missouri, an SEC team with an SEC roster in St. Louis. This could be a splash of water. This also could be Memphis coming out party. I don't know how it's going to go. We'll talk about it later, but like, this is going to be weird. And it's good that you do a kind of a road trip before you go on your actual road trip, which is a conference game against Vanderbilt. But I don't know. It, it, you, I think coming off of a big upset, BK, like you said, the vibes could be a little weird. And again, college teams notoriously finicky about being consistent. So I don't know, man. This is this is a weird situation. It was also a physical game. Uh, you went up against a, a, an emotional opponent. We saw what the crowd was like. We saw what the atmosphere was like. We saw what the players were like after that one. If you have, if you guys have seen any of the post game videos while the players were leaving the field, uh, it's it's easy to get hyped up. We also saw what Eli Drinkwood said post game. Like he was also feeling his oats a little bit. Frankly, he should have. He earned that. The team earned all of that. It is a very quick turnaround, man, between that and then going out there and playing against a really solid opponent in a neutral site game. Again, I'll use the example of Colorado versus Colorado State. Colorado State is like a bottom 20 team in the country in SP plus and or excuse me, Colorado State is. Mm-hmm. And they damn near found a way to beat Colorado. And I believe part of that genuinely, I believe part of that is because Colorado got a little too over their skis. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, we're we're legit. And, and I think they are. Like I think they're a really good football team. But weird stuff happened in that game. And then it kind of set them into this like series of unfortunate events. And it led them to be like, oh God, we we haven't been in this situation yet. Mm-hmm. Are we capable of of getting ourselves out? And they eventually were the nice thing for Missouri, they've been in weird spots before. That game against Middle Tennessee was super weird. So they know they can get out of it, and this might be the this is another game. Nate, I told you against Kansas State. I don't care how they do it. Three to two, <laughs> 75 yeah. to 71. I do not care. Pass fail. This mm-hmm. is another one of those games. Against Vandy, we'll talk about that. I don't feel the same yeah. way. That's not a pass fail matchup. Against Memphis, it absolutely is. Also, how's Brady doing? How's that yeah. knee? Fair question. One of the reasons Colorado State was able to keep it so close is that they were physical with Shadur Sanders. They were smacking him around constantly. So they were smacking everyone around so bad they had like 12 penalties, like two targetings or something like that. So like, yeah, they sent Travis Hunter to the hospital because of did. that. Like what, what I genuinely believe was a dirty hit on him. Very. That, I very think that dirty. kind of all led to it from the the pregame escalation. Yeah. I don't think we'll see any of that for this matchup between Mizzou and Memphis. No, I don't think there's bad blood, but I'm saying like, if you get physical with Brady, like we know he's going to go out there and play. That's not the question. It's it's the effectiveness of how he plays. Because we've seen that. (laughs) We've seen that last year. Um, And if you've got a leg injury, like that can affect the throws, start sailing a little bit. If you're not, if he is not able to go out there, I, there was a point in time in this game against K-State, like middle of the third quarter, where I was thinking to myself, man, they might have to replace mm-hmm. him here because yeah. his he couldn't scramble. Throws looked a little wobbly. I was like, if, if he doesn't get this thing going a little bit, you're you're eventually going to have to make a really difficult decision. They stuck with him. It paid yeah. off. But that's the kind of thing that you do wonder about going into a game like this. Yeah. He needs to hit the ice bath. He needs to get some feel good. Uh maybe I don't know, put him in a, like in a scooter or a wheelchair or something and just let him, let him take it easy for the week. But uh, if Memphis decides to get aggressive uh, on him in particular, which what defense doesn't want to do that, 
You got to be ready. So we'll we'll talk about Memphis in more detail in the mid game show, and of course we'll talk about the the recruit that we got for the 2025 class. Just another W for Eli Drinkwitz on Saturday night, which was great. But we're going to talk about that in the midweek show uh, after we've come down from our two day high of beating Kansas State, which just feels so good. So. I think we have covered everything, but BK, do you have any final parting shots? I think the other thing that I want to bring up, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more on uh, in our midweek show, and we'll get out of here on this. I don't even want to spend any time on it, Nate. Mizzou fans, it's time to dream about winning the SEC East this year. Go ahead and let that one stick in your minds for the next couple of days, and we'll discuss it a little bit further coming up midweek. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter at Matt Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and Podcasting Outlet at Rockin' Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more, just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams. Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Uh, Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.